Hey everybody, Dennis Rogers here. I've got just a couple notes for the show that you're about to hear. First of all, apologies for my sound quality. There's something wrong with the hardware that will hopefully have resolved by next week when I'm back in the Midwest recording. Second note is that later on in the show when we're talking about Battlestar Galactica, I refer to the actress who plays Tori, her name is Rekha Sharma, as Middle Eastern, which is could not be further off. Uh, the actress is actually Canadian, and her parents are from Fiji. Finally, just a warning, um, this show gets a little kind of heavy philosophical, but contains full spoilers for the original Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, Battlestar Galactica, the newer series, Lord of the Rings, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and uh, the Battlestar Galactica prequel series, Caprica. So, uh, if you haven't seen any of that and don't want to get spoiled... Maybe skip this entire episode. For the rest of you staying with us, sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the front porch. This is Michael, and I'm here with Dennis. How's it going, man? Pretty good, and you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Pretty good, actually. I got to go see a late night movie last night that I kind of been semi looking forward to um, uh, with some Blade Runner with Pat, and that was a good time. Uh, you got to see that, right? Yeah, I um, my I and and two of my brothers went out last Thursday, which I did not realize was opening night. Was... Oh, you went you went right with the the Blade Runner faithful. I I guess yeah there were there were like five other people in there. No, oh, it was. Well, well, I was wondering if it was packed. It's it's reportedly not been doing very well on uh, the money wise, but they're hoping for overseas type stuff. Uh, my theater was not very packed either. I'd say. Eh, well, it's maybe half. It's, it's interesting. Um, they talked about this on Geek Scholars. Like, even though the movie is the original movie is kind of iconic and the people who love it really love it it's you know it it's a movie in the 80s a movie released in the 80s that has nudity in it it's not it's it's casual sort of westworld style nudity but i'm sure that hurt its box office initially is probably also hurting this this new one though the culture has changed a little bit from the 80s just a tad. I will say, I'm, I'm glad you said the word Westworld in there. I, I literally thought of that exact thing when watching that. I thought, okay, so um, can I explain this to somebody that's very even-handed Westworld-wise where it's like nudity is where it is. Uh, I got to say, about halfway through, I personally decided that the nudity, not that I'm approved in any way, but the nudity was not necessary and it was a lot. Like they put a lot of... of female nudity in there and again i hate to sound like a prude that i'm like oh you don't need that and i want to see boobs and butts but i mean literally there was just flyby shots of gigantic asses and you're like okay that's cool well About there the 50th yeah time, i mean I'm like why are you doing that i mean there are these big statues and it's like you know there's there's a balance and then there's a whole conversation about our our culture and in in the u.s particularly here with that. What I what I was going to say to to complete my thought about opening weekend for 2049 um it's the original movie is kind of a cult classic. Like 
I watched it once, not all in one sitting, and so I was mostly confused. And I was like, I'm sure that there's something, there's some message being told here in this movie that's, you know, really, really big thought-provoking thing. And it has that, uh, it has that open-ended ending, like, um, like Inception and or uh, Memento, some of those more recent movies, it's really thought-provoking. And all those things make it a really good movie, but keep it from being, you know, Star Wars, right? To where I, th- yeah. I think I think a lot of people are going to go see it. I mean, for me, this is not really intentionally. It happened that uh, my youngest brother wanted to go see it, and both of the, the girls were out, and were like, yeah, let's, okay, finish finish writing your paper. He's in school still, and... Uh, and then we'll go see it, like, 9 o'clock. Um, wow, you watched it at 9 o'clock? That's late, considering how long that damn thing was. Right, right. And, but, but, I mean, closest, probably closest to release that I've seen a movie in, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe back when the Star Wars prequels were coming out and we still thought that those were going to be good. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a release weekend movie watcher we've talked about that previously but i think i think a lot of people are going to see it the reviews are going to be incredible and it should pick up momentum as it goes um the the only thing that might in the long run hurt its hurt its viewing numbers is probably that nudity thing and it's kind of a it's a little bit like season one of game of thrones without being as uh sexual like season one of game of thrones is definitely sexual it's like you know at least a quarter of it is just straight up pornographic yeah and i would say that sometimes pornographic sometimes it's part of the plot and sometimes just gratuitously um and this isn't that way like i said it's it's more like westworld you've got statues and you know this whole idea of replicants which you know is a little bit of a like philosophical difference because they're you know it's not cgi they're still human people but you know that's whole i don't want to get into that whole yeah, thing I, but there were definitely parts of it where i was like okay i get it like in this scene you know she's naked and that's you know how it would be but in this other scene like you have these statues you don't have the statues to, are perfect perfect thing you don't have to point at the statues that much like you're and linger uh, on that and and linger i mean it's you know not to be you know as you said not not to sound prudish it's sort of the nature of this if you want to call it a franchise to have long i don't want to say slow because it sounds negative but um long slow scenes with slow cinematography slow emotional reveals like I enjoyed all of that stuff, so it it fits in the in the tone and the style of the film. But I agree, it did feel a little excessive. Okay, so we're I can see there's going to be a little fireworks going through because I think my standpoint is the complete opposite of what you're describing. <laughs> all of this stuff. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm not on board with the slow reveals, and it's just not my kind of thing. But I, I want to get to that reaction in a bit. Uh, but first, 
I do want to comment real quick on, on the nudity thing, not to hammer too much on it, but I, I wanted to reinforce what you were saying is that I, I kept thinking, it's fine. I'm totally accepting of whatever. It's, it doesn't bother me at all. It's great. And it's like, oh, that's a great, pleasant thing. And it sets the tone. It's the place. It, it's all about, I, I, I'm totally for that when it's, it's deserved and needed or whatever it needs to be, um, or even gratuity, gratuitously here and there. But it's just like every five minutes or 10 minutes, they were like zooming in on large breasts. And when they showed, like you said, the statues is something that really, when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of director. You had to thoughtfully tell the CGI people that there are going to be tons of nude statues all on their sides. And I want you to pan the camera around and make sure that you include the breasts here. And you, and you, oh, there's another one. Let's make sure we, it was a, an intellectual deliberate thing and that's not just the statues but they do it with when you're flying by through the cities when uh somebody's standing around it's just always there and it lingers so it's a conscious decision and i thought this this doesn't need to be here there's no there's no reason that this is here and so by the time the statues came i was pretty much like okay i i get it director you like boobs you like butts and you don't want to show the guys anyway not that i would care to see those but it's just that if it was a point about nudity, it would be equal nudity, you know, not just objectification at that point. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, it's there's a there's a comparison there a little bit with the um, those sort of they're not really flashbacks, but like the world building story scenes in Wonder Woman. Okay. You you know what I'm talking about? Uh, describe it a little bit more. So they're they're basically telling the story of or a version of the of the mythology of ancient Greece with Zeus and all of that, okay. which is, you know, part of a big part of um, Diana's backstory. Yes. And it's presented in a way that looks like oil paintings, maybe a little Renaissance. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Little, I know what you're at. Uh, Michelangelo, some of those guys. Um, I'm going to get mail for my art ignorance, but... <laughs> Um, it's showed in that, it's shown in that kind of, it's not really abstract, but it's, it's clearly, um, artistic. Yeah, and it's relevant to the and, content of what's being on the screen. And, and you're seeing what are clearly naked or nearly naked people, but there's always like a flowing toga or something. And that's a really common thing, you know, um. Austin Powers and some of those satirical movies make heavy use of that, like camera angles and objects held in certain places to, you know, get as close as possible to having nudity without ever actually showing any uh, genitals. Yeah, and I don't mind that it's rated R. That That's fine. I guess my... I don't want to. I get, we got to stop belaboring this point, but I I really feel that it was yeah. definitely objectification at that point. I mean, the, the direct the director was, and if his his comment was that the future is is objectifying women in all sorts of ways, that it seemed like a really odd thing to be saying in this movie that had nothing to do with that whatsoever. Maybe objectification of robots, but he does he doesn't plunge into the sex bots too terribly much. He doesn't but he really wants to like show the objectification of women. So I just didn't feel that that was a, a needed thing. Um but transitioning out of that yeah, a little bit. Go ahead. That's an interesting now now did you say um did you tell me before the show that you recently um 
rewatched the original? Yeah, I did. Or maybe that's, maybe watched for the first time. That's kind of what I was, I was wanting to go to here was the, if we could talk about the first Blade Runner a little bit. I mean, not terribly, but I'd like to get your take on it first to set up where we're at, how we feel about that second one. I So Sunday, I, I will admit, I, Blade Runner has been one of those things that I needed to watch. I need to watch. I'm a huge fan of Harrison Ford and obviously all the things he's done. The, the man's amazing. Um, and he tears up every single scene in the new movie like he owns the place. I mean, his little mannerisms in his face and his acting, any scene that he's in wins. It's, it, he's not in that movie until late, but that's when the movie starts to turn around. And I had been a fan of his for such a long time because of his acting abilities and just the way he is that I, I got to watch Blade Runner. He likes Blade Runner. I mean, he doesn't always feel like he's the biggest fan of Star Wars, yet he likes Blade Runner. So I just never got to it. I tried to watch it. It was so slow paced and it was heavy handed and not a lot of things that I really liked about it. So I would either fall asleep or not get, you know, uh, it wouldn't grab my attention. But I decided that when Pat said, hey, let's go watch this, that I need to watch it. I want to watch it. I need to watch it. So I watched the what was recommended by everyone, the 2007 release. Um, there, we don't need to go back and forth to all the releases, but that's one the one that was widely widely accepted by the intranet of all places um, that to be the best one. So I watched it. I rented it. Watched the whole thing. And my comments before I get yours back is that it's very slow. Um, I have to appreciate it for where it was that it may have been one of the first ones to really tackle the idea of artificial life and having a soul, not necessarily the first, but one that really did it well. Um, it was slow deliberately. It, um, dropped clues subtly. Um, it had a lot. I just think that was a good director movie. The, the writing could have been one thing, but the director really made that movie what it was for me. It was too slow. I mean, I watched it all, watched two hours, but it was, I had to do it. I had to sit there and focus and just pay attention. Okay, this is going to pay off. I got to watch the whole thing. I just got to do it. And I felt like that conversation we had with Fox way, way back when he was on our show from Geek Scholars, uh, how he sometimes watches shows because that's what he does because he's in in the industry. And I kind of felt that way too. It's like, hey, had I not been having to watch this show with Pat, I would turn this off. I'm not that interested in it. It's okay, but even as a period piece, it's just, it just was not entertaining to me. Uh, and I would have turned it off, but I powered through it and I watched the end and the ending happened and it was okay. Uh, by the way, we're talking full spoilers here for our listeners. If you don't you know, want to hear about Blade Runner stuff, then you should fast forward to other chapters. But yeah, whether Deckard, you know, was real or not, and how he got off at the end, the guy dies, the main bad guy. Uh, yeah, it was fine. I thought it was just fine. When I turned it off, I thought, eh, okay, well, let's hope the next one is better. Uh, were you a fan of the first one after you watched it all? Or that type of storytelling? No judgment. Well, no, I mean, my reaction was similar to yours, and I'll admit that I didn't really watch it quote unquote correctly. I don't know what version I saw. I was not aware that there were these re-released. Uh, Do you remember if there were voiceovers at so, the beginning or? I don't. Okay. I don't that, that seems to be the, um, the, the thing that marks them. 
Sure. Well, it, it's kind of like the the Star Wars original versus remastered. True. Conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, though though maybe not as intense because I doubt anybody went and put a bunch of stupid CGI mules and stuff <laughs> in the Blade right. Runner. Um, <laughs> not not mules, obviously, like tauntauns and whatever else. It's the only animal from Star Wars off the top of my head. Um, but I watched the first chunk of it, and I sort of understood the premise. And then, I mean, there could even be stuff in the middle that I've never seen. But I walked in at some point when my brother was watching it with his buddy and saw most of, like, from the middle to the end. Um, and so, like I said, it's possible that I haven't even seen the whole thing, but saw the end and the whole thing. And I remember saying at the end of it, I feel like there's some, uh, not really point, but there's like some significant aspect of this story that they're trying to convey that's getting lost in the spectacle of the, of the filmmaking. Oh yeah, I agree. Cinema, the cinematography and the sets and, um, all of that kind of stuff, which oddly, and maybe it's just a, you know, watching and watching an old eighties movie 30 years later versus watching a new movie with new, whatever, new special effects, new cinematography, yeah. like none of that stuff really bothered me with the new one, but I, I don't want to jump your, uh, yeah, I, I. How do you feel about though? Here. Okay, so here before we let's just focus on that first one. Uh, there, I, I want to ask you a, a question that everyone asks when they, when they're fans of of that. Um, where do you stand as of the end of the first movie? Whether Deckard is a replicant or not, I don't remember from when I saw it whether I had strong feelings on it one way or another. Um, I mean, I do now after seeing the new one, but I feel like that's not a fair. That's not what you asked me. So, I yeah, yeah, that, no, 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 just the, from I, the first one. I don't, I don't really know. I don't. I think that I was, I was so confused by everything that I was seeing on screen that I, I don't remember even really thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, I have to say that watching it recently, knowing that that's going to be a question, and, and I was asking myself that through the whole time, I, I, I personally, now that I had a fresh take and a way to prepare myself at every scene to judge, um, I can't see that um, that he was, or I didn't think he was a replicant at all. I mean, yeah, they may try to play with your brains, but it feels like that that was a fan-induced um, Let's. What if you think about it like that? Oh, that's interesting. But I, I mean, the writers and the directors at the time, they they did not feel that way whatsoever. It was just not made that way. I don't feel. Um, and that, you know, they may have changed their minds as they go on and they start watching again and find that interesting. But when you're making it, you're writing it, and you're directing it, and you say, "This is no, we definitely believe he's not a replicant." Then that's what it is. That's just what it. You know, I, I don't see what the argument is there. Um, now that can change with the new director and the new writer and, um, they can ch change, you know, retcon type yeah, stuff. That's cool. Sure. We can talk about that. Um, but maybe my biggest issue, man, I really like how you said the thing about cinematography getting in the way that it just the, the spectacle of watching the slow paced show, which is the point of Blade Runner is this very <laughs> slow thing that it, 
it, it detracted from what they were trying to say. And and also, I will say that this story has been improved a million times about AI intelligence since Blade Runner. That this seems very the point they are trying to make is very very basic to me at this at this point. So that is, I will give it credit for that that I did not watch this in the time in the period when it needed to be watched. But that doesn't necessarily make it a, a, an amazing movie that holds the test of time. It may mark it as a good point in storytelling, but it doesn't necessarily make it you know withstand the test of time. Interesting. So when you watch the new one, how did, did you feel? You said, did you say that you didn't think that, that the spectacle inter- interfered too much with the story in the new one? You, you felt that it was the slow pace was okay and that's how it was told? Um, well, there were, I felt like there were a couple things going on. Like, you know, as given my, my history with the first film, I'm very far from being really qualified to uh, comment on or even really understand the the original as a whole. Sort of like we talked about Star Wars and we're like uh, Force Awakens was, you know, a reta- was a new story in the same style with the same storytelling techniques and same sensibilities as A New Hope. Right. Uh, this, I, this four, yes. I feel like I understand New Hope well enough to make that statement in this case. Yes. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make the same statement with a lot less familiarity with the original film. So take that for what it's worth, but it very much felt to me like this new director was taking a, you know, well-loved in its own circle, a cult classic, if you will, and telling a new story in the same world with the same, style to you know maybe be a little more accessible to new newer younger viewers but still be relatable or or connecting for lovers of the original yeah and and i agree i totally agree that that's that's a really astute evaluation because when i went to to kroger or a grocery store here um, afterwards to get myself a uh, turkey wrap, <laughs> I was in line and talked to the the fella checking me out. And I was just mentioning that casually that I went and saw Blade Runner. He's like, oh, how was it? And then the, the bag boy also said, yeah, yeah. How would you think of that? My comment was, are you fans of the first one? And they're like, uh, I don't remember, remember. These guys were like, you know, 20 at most. Sure, sure. And, and I said, well, if you liked the first one, you will definitely like this one. If you aren't a fan of the first one, you will definitely not like this one. Um, because I, I agree, it was told they did it justice. They did it faithful. J.J. Um, Abrams did, you know, Force Awakens, very faithful justice, what everybody wanted to see. And this director succeeded. He made a Blade Runner, Runner successful sequel like what 30 years later i i think super congrats to him he to him he did it he made exactly what needed to be made if he would have done it any other way there would have been huge revolts that it was modern it was not blade runner or if he did it other way then it was worse he changed the story dramatically but no this was a this was a very faithful blade runner story after just watching that first one yeah he he made it just like that the writer wrote it 
just like the first one. And and I give them huge props for that. The, the thing is, is that do you like that? Do you like that kind of story and the way it's told or that cinematography? Then if you do, yeah, this one's going to be for you. Hmm. That's interesting because um, if you, well, I don't, I don't know that they've, they've published a show yet talking about it, but um, when Geek Scholars did their conversation sort of predictions about this, um, Fox went on record as not liking the original, where uh, Chris, one of the other hosts on that show, is a big fan. Um, but we've heard from him in our in our group chats and whatever that he Fox really really liked it. And I don't I don't know if he used the word masterpiece, but that's what some people are saying. Oh right, right. The, you mean the new the one? The new one, yeah. And for for me, that's sort of sort of how I felt. And I don't know if I can if I can really adequately say why I definitely, you know, getting, getting out of the theater, walking back to the car, I could not, I could not dispute the claim that, um, my, my other brother who lives out here, um, said, you know, he commented on the nudity and then said, it's just, it was so, so slow and so long. And I can't, you know, I can't dispute either of those statements. But while watching it, it didn't bother me. Um, I think for whatever reason, I managed to get sort of emotionally invested in Ryan Gosling's character and the journey he went on and his relationship with uh, with Joy and with um, the, the, the boss. What's her name from House of Cards? Yeah. And oh the madam. The madam and uh not not in a prostitute way, in a boss way. Right. Um the well, a, a prostitute madam is a boss too. It's not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um just all, and like the the reveals maybe your prostitute is the madam sure, my sure. dad. <laughs> um the just the the sort of re- emotional reveals as he's going through these like these dream scenes and the the stuff that he discovers, it's like it felt emotionally impactful despite, you know, the kind of story it is. Like the you already said tag spoilers, but like the the quote unquote love story that we're looking at here is a love story between an android and a hologram. Like they're both AI, but you still you still are a little bit heartbroken when you get to that scene and he sees the big pink billboard version of her and you see in his in his eyes this sort of like true comprehension that this that this quote unquote person that he was in love with is dead is 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 dead and maybe was never as real as as alive as he thought she was or maybe she was like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I saw that scene. I, I think I do think I think that when he was looking at that, my, my interpretation was that is that he realizes that she was a whole individual and is dead. And this is not her. You know, this is something else. It may look the same, but I felt that he was at that moment. That was an A.I. that they zoomed on her face and her pointing at him that he wasn't. He wasn't seeing her. He was seeing this other AI type thing, but her, she was real. 
which is said a lot. Interesting. Um, I, I interpreted I, that the complete opposite. You know, and that's one of the things probably that, that people love about Blade Runner. So I think that's worth commenting on is that the, because of the slow pace and the, 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 the time that they give to linger on concepts. And sometimes they'll, they'll linger on it twice or two or three times and they'll just really take their time with it in both versions is what makes it really fun for the viewers. And, and in that context, I think it succeeded and I enjoyed it. I, I mean, I, I like that thoughtful approach to let's spend time talking, you know, just on joy. Joy is the, 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 his holographic wife and just spend time on that. There's a real relationship between two AI people and they will reinforce it for 45 minutes of a show again and again and again. Now, that being said, I am a pretty good, I've become a pretty big fan of the entire movie making process. And I got to say, I, I like to recognize when a director does a good job, when a writer does a good job, when actors do good jobs, or even when like makeup and the different parts of things. One of the most influential, under accredited professions in filmmaking is the editor. And they make the movie. And I felt I couldn't not watch this show and thinking, God, they could have made a whole better, in my interpretation, movie by editing the shit out of this movie and just, you know, okay, we don't need to, to, to re-spend so much time on Joy. We don't need to spend so much time on this guy or that guy or, or why are we just spending, you know, edit that out. Why are we spending 20 minutes going through the skyline of Las Vegas, you know, cut, 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 cut. And we can make, it would pick up the pacing. But I guess that defeats the purpose of what they're trying to do by slowly deliberating over every little thing. Um, I, I will, I said in the car and I was texting my girlfriend and I said, um, I don't think you'd like it. And it's not because it's not a good story, but because it, if you aren't going to sit here and let it take forever to get its point across. If you don't have the lot of patience, you're not going to like the show. You're going to want to leave halfway through. You got to sit down. And I, I felt I was okay with that. Cause I watched the first one before this, but man, I, I got so annoyed at the Hobbit and how long that thing was. And it was, they had action scenes in this one and that one. And this one, it was just like, Oh my God. Okay. It's, they're reinforcing joy here. They're reinforcing that he's a robot. They're reinforcing the investigation. And then finally they get to Deckard and it's like, okay, now the movie starts. It's a whole different movie because Harrison Ford rocks. Um, okay. But I guess I'm running at the mouth with that. Uh, <laughs> let's ask that same question now and ask you the same question here. The movie's over. You think Deckard is a replicant? After this movie, Absolutely. You, really? Okay, I'm gonna go the other way, but go ahead. Why? 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 why what, what's the points there that you think it's pretty clear that he's a replicant? Okay, so in the in the opening sequence, and I will counter. With, he, in the opening sequence, uh, Ryan Gosling meets up with, um, you know, what's his name from Guardians, right? And he's farming. Oh yeah, protein. Uh, Batista. Grub, and. Uh, and who, who does a great job in this, by the way? A wrestler turned actor. Here's another one. Right, and and they establish if you did you see any of the the shorts that they put on YouTube? I did not. 
um, they tell some of the story in between, but there's a there's a sequence with him where he gets in a fight, basically, and they establish that the replicants are much stronger than humans. Right. They say that at the beginning too, though. Um, yeah, it's probably in the in the title text. Right. Um, and so when he goes to try and apprehend or retire him, uh, they fight. Right. And so you, and so that reinforces that, uh, um, that idea, that physical prowess or ability thing. And then later when he goes to, was it Las Vegas? We were never sure. It is Las Vegas. Yes. The map sort of made it look like Las Vegas and it reminded me of the game, uh, Fallout New Vegas. It is. And and he, Deckard mentions it a couple of times. People have come here to gamble. Right. Um, and, and they fight and I sort of assumed that they did the fight scene the way they did with the holograms to kind of spare Harrison Ford. Some of the, 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 um, (laughs) whatever the, the extra effort of doing a lot of close combat action scenes side or, note or, actually there wasn't Harrison did all that and he actually punched Gosling and like real punched him yeah I, I I heard that I heard that story but like so the way that they did it I think helped allow them to do that without stunt doubles yes right it's it's, it's sort of what I'm saying like they could get a they could create an action sequence that is um I want to use the word stressful, but that's not what I really mean because fight scenes like that are not really supposed to be stressful, but emotionally intense. Yeah. Right. Some of that, a little bit of that is, is exacerbated by the, by the setting, right? Because of the, the music and the holograms like make that much more, uh, emotionally intense. I don't have a better way to say that. Like un- un- unsettling. But but why does why does that make him a replicant though? Oh, th- th- that was just a side note. Like I think the fact that he can go toe to toe in a fist fight with K reinforces that. Right, but I, but I will point out make a counterpoint to that immediately saying that he that Joe did not fight back. K did not punch back. He he let him beat on him. At almost every point, K did not do robot strength hmm. on him. He let him punch him. And he took it. Like, he, he right. can't because he's a robot. And Harrison got, uh, Deckard got tired and could not, I mean, he hit him hard, but it took him a lot before he could hmm. actually hurt him. Also, I will say on the physical comparison there, uh, he doesn't bust through walls and knock down things the way that, that K does. K literally runs through the wall when when uh, Deckard uses a door. Oh, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. I think, I think because I didn't know one way or another and I did not – I had not been aware beforehand that that was a – a long-standing question. Um, if if I went and yeah. saw it again and paid more attention to those details, I think you're right. It's probably 
more ambiguous than than I thought. It is. I think that the director was kind of trying to be ambiguous here, and, and he does it. Uh, there's uh, on the the Reddit's throughout afterwards. People are still back and forth on on whether where they stand on this this modern one. Uh, I, I will say I, I stand on the as I said opposite of you. I stand that he is a human. Um, there's there's just a lot of things that the the first one makes a lot more sense and just is completely made to be that he's human. Uh, and if you say he's not, then it just destroys it. Now, I do like, here's something that's really, really interesting that they do. God, when Harrison Ford gets in the movie, the movie starts to become cool and interesting. <laughs> uh, they mention, I can't remember the main ba- main antagonist's name, but he, they, he mentions that, um, hey, were you just created um, to fall in love with her, Rachel? You know, were you, was that a thing that you were made to do? Were you supposed to, was that supposed to happen? So that guy right there is giving the biggest, most compelling reasons that he's a replicant is that this guy is saying, Hey, I, we're having a conversation here. We both know that you're a replicant. And, um, I'm telling you that this was made, you, you were made for this. Uh, so that, that's a good argument right there is that, Oh yeah, he's totally replicant. I mean, they're having a conversation and he's telling him that you're, you're made to be a dad. And you're made to fall in love with her. And that's just a made up thing. And that's why. But my rebuttal to that is when Deckard says, you know, I know what I feel. I know, you know, how I feel that I have is a real thing. Uh, So that's me saying Deckard believes that he is he is a real boy. And this is what he's doing to to, you know, he he doesn't believe that guy. I, I just just disbelieve what you say. Uh, no, it's it's they do a better job on this one of making it, you know, is it is it not? Oh, hey, one quick point on the physical part. Also, Deckard can't break out of the handcuffs with the water, yet um, Kay walks up Joe and just breaks them off. Tears them off with his hands. Yeah, he tears them off with his hands. I mean, but again, going back to the um, the let's keep it ambiguous. All of all of those those fig- physical arguments can be a you know, he's a he's an old model that was supposed to have been retired True. a long time ago, where Kay's new top of the line, True. blah blah blah. True. Or, or if you still think that he's the he's the messiah, then you know may, maybe that's why he's stronger even than the than the big wrestler replicant. Right. I I, I gotta say. Man, it's funny. I was ready about halfway through the movie to, to, to give it just a super negative review and not go through it. So, again, when, when Harrison comes back on screen, things get better. Uh, so when I left the theater thinking, okay, I, I liked how kind of it was. But reading about it today, a little disappointed. I will say that the movie sets up the world really well. It, it sets it up better than the first one. Um, it has so many plot points that aren't answered it feels like okay. They're starting on, on, a, on a trilogy, not intentionally. They didn't. It doesn't feel like they did it. Like that's why we have to watch part one to watch part two. But I just kind of like, oh, okay. Now I could watch more movies in this world and see things happen and um, enjoy it. But the things I've, I've read today is that they don't have any plans for that. I've heard that that was part of what sort of hurt the original, or not really hurt it excuse me, in and of itself, but 
um, in in retrospect was that they did plan on making like two or, or a whole trilogy of movies. And because it kind of flopped in the box office, they never got, you know, funding for that. And so the so that is part of why the the truth about Decker, quote unquote, is uh, is ambiguous. You know, uh, that's I think that's going to happen. That's the exact same thing that's happening now. Now, the writer and director or actually it's the writer has come out and said for the, the, the current one that he did not write this in any way to be a sequel or to be a series. He wrote it to be faithful to the original and to have a good story, which which is good on him. Uh, but I, I hate to say that he wrote a good world and he intentionally didn't answer a ton of questions to a real story. It didn't really have an ending. Uh, and I know that's kind of the first one too, but if the reason they didn't have the first one, an ending in the first one is because they wanted to make multiples. He's doing that again in the first, in this, this one. And it's not making enough money right now to really justify that, which is again, a little sad. I think the people reason people wanted this second one to come out with a new movie is because they felt like they wanted more. And they didn't really, I don't know if they got that on this one, because uh, there's a whole war going on. You never, the main antagonist is fully capable. He's got his full abilities. Everything's still the same. Nothing really changed. Uh, we got the idea of the child. We found out that Joe wasn't the child. Uh, his wife died. We explored that. But nothing really changed from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. Deckard found his daughter that's it there's no real story here that happened well uh, yeah i mean it's funny we were talking about this before the show like what what is or isn't a story um and it's like a set I guess, piece i guess it depends on how on how big your question is but you can you can obviously tell a story without answering a question it becomes more of a like a maybe lord of the rings style just like telling of events that's not that doesn't follow a you know a narrative beginning middle and end format um because because a lot of things happen and the big questions I mean, the questions they're ask, asking are big. I mean, they're existential questions dealing with, you know, technology that isn't real. And so it's like, how? I mean, just like we were talking about with Joy, like, I watched that sequence and went, oh, you know, he... Now, I did I did choose to take a bathroom break during the, the scene where she gets the, um, what are they called, Roxy or... Something like that. The, oh, the she gets street, the real, the portable the streetwalk the streetwalker replicant to. Uh, oh, you took a, to, that one. That's like amazing scene. Well, I I saw what was coming, and I saw I saw them like sync up, and I was like, okay, this is probably a point where I can step away and not be. It's not going to change the story. Like nothing's nothing big's going to happen. Yeah, good. Um, actually, that makes sense. But. Um, I, I interpreted that whole situation as like, he gets to the end. I mean, we, we said this already and like seeing or being confronted with the fact that she is just a, 
um, you know, almost like a sex doll. Who, Joy? Sort of. I mean, yeah. Maybe in that, un unlike the replicants who are all different, they look like people, um, all the copies of her look the same, including the big one on the billboard. Oh, right, yeah, the Joy. And so, so I looked at that as his sort of existential kind of, you know, was was he even as an AI being just played by another AI? But I don't know. I mean, it's like we said, it's it's too big of a question. I mean, I, they could have answered it, but they really don't. Yeah, they they don't. Like they show it to you, and and it's and it's slow enough, and the scenes are long enough that you you see everything that he's seeing and you see his reaction just in his face, but it does, it doesn't answer the question for you. I mean, the, I think very, very much, very much intentionally it's left up to your interpretation. Yeah. I mean, but the whole show is like that. That's a, I guess it's a huge annoying thing about like, they just intentionally don't answer anything. There's no end to anything. I wish there was some end to something besides Deckard just seeing his daughter for the first time. I mean, there, there's, can I ask you, um, who won the, the Android war or, uh, did the, the main villain finally stop being, uh, you know, being an asshole or get, uh, his just desserts for being, a uh, slave master. Nope. Nope. We don't know any about any of that. Did, uh, uh, society tear itself apart because there's a child? Oh, we don't know. Did the revolutionaries form up the replicants and start a big war? I don't know. They, they just don't answer anything. There's just nothing answered. The only thing that we did answer is that Joe is not his son. That's it. <laughs> right? Which is a little disappointing, right. I was hoping. I mean, it's fine. I, I get the twist. but And, and, and I don't know. I mean... <sighs> It's a little bit like it reminds me of the Matrix, quote unquote, trilogy. Yeah, and that one had the same people said was the same problem is that at the end is like okay we went through this whole thing and you gave us nothing. But like, was like they tried to answer more questions in the second and third ones, sort of. But does does that make the story better? I mean, the movies definitely weren't bad. Uh, okay, that's going to segue into something, our next topic here, that I, I really, really, really <laughs> want to talk about. But I, I, before we do, I, I want to make a comment about Joy. I think that Joy was the okay. best part of the movie. Um, I think that's where the most interesting stuff happened. Uh, her character, uh, the, the acting was really great. I don't know who the actress was, just some young actress, but she did an amazing job. Uh, She's... um. She's Cuban. Like almost all the work she's done has been in Madrid, in Spain. Okay. And then when I, I read a I read an, an interview, an interview with her, she came to the U.S. and had to spend whatever like four months something just learning English, and then made made her agent understand that she wanted to audition for any any parts, not just you know. She didn't want to be pigeonholed as a Cuban actress or a Spanish okay. actress, like for for any kind of part. And I mean, sort of like Olivia Wilde in the Neutron yeah. movie, 
she's she's made up in a way to look not really not really fake like the the weird semi-transparent hologram thing yeah. sort of uh sort of handles that but but almost too perfect almost slightly unreal like like they're taking a a real person and trying to push her into the uncanny yeah, valley right. a little bit and not not too not too far but of course um as the, the somebody said in the in the article that i read it's like her performance was so good in this story in this relationship that the audience is um what's the word uh distracted from the obvious that, that nature she's, of that it. she's a, a hologram. Right, like she's not real. Like not only is she not not only is she not real in the way that Ryan Gosling isn't real, you know, whatever. Um she's also not even corporeal. Yeah. She she it's obvious that she's not real. But but we still right. have real the, I think the actress does a great job of of making you sell it. I mean, they're they're constantly flicking back and forth to show you that she's real. It's like the director's like, we're not going to let go that she's not a real person. We're going to constantly remind you of it in every scene she's in. But the actress is doing the complete opposite of that, and, and we're made to believe that's her programming and and that's the way she is. But uh, it's a great dichotomy, and it's only pulled off by the actor acting amazingly and the director trying to fight against her in the same way. And it, it really works. And it, and it works when she has the scene with the, the water and the rain, her first time that she's out there, the, the literal joy mm-hmm. that she feels, um, her self-sacrifice when she shows that determination. And I don't know, it's, these are things that you feel that, Oh, there's no way they could have programmed that. Uh, and that, I don't know. I think that was an interesting part mm. of the story that was the most interesting thing is, and her, when, when she died, there's the spoiler. When she died, it felt to me as too much of a throwaway scene. Like, Oh my God, they need it. He did give that, that yeah. scene that you mentioned before where he's walking on that catwalk and he sees her and that's, I'm glad they gave that. But I kind of wanted that to be the crux of the show. It's like, okay, she died. She sacrificed all. That needs to be what we need to focus on. De- this whole Deckard thing and the child—that's a I, separate thing. This one is what's most important. I I agree, and I was I was waiting for some sort of Deus Ex kind of like, you know, they find a. Of course, th- this is a this is a series a, a series. I guess this is a this is a world where very little is communicated about the yeah. technology. Similar to, I think you wanted to talk about Battlestar Galactica the same way. It's like we're focusing on the the characters and the emotions, and we're not really going to talk about how it works. But I was waiting for a like, you know, a, a replicant body gets its uh, its its consciousness or whatever dies, or it's a new one, and that she can install the be backed up. She can install her her essence into it, just like he puts her in the in yeah. the emitter, um, which is a is a huge checkoff oh, gun. Sure. For to, sure, for sure, she's gonna. Well, die. you know, you hope that they're not gonna pull that thing. Like, oh, he's gonna put her in a fragile, you know, plastic the dumbest thing wand. Ever, right? Like that, somebody's def somebody's definitely gonna step on it. Like every time 
that that also increased the tension of his fight with Deckard because I was like, is he any any given time he takes a punch from this guy and falls down, there's a chance that that uh, Joy Minner is gonna oh, uh, I... is gonna crack in two. And of course they they didn't throw it away that casually, but I agree that it did. It felt like oh thing, and she's dead, and you know he has the moment of reflection that we've talked about ad nauseum now, but. Um, yeah, it's just like, and it does, and I guess it does make the, the, the that villain that did that get beat in this one a little bit more important. So I, I can say that this opinion of mine would drastically change into like a classic all time cinematic masterpiece, uh, a la Fox statements that if, if there were multiple movies, if there was <laughs> other movies that told the whole story, I'm, I cannot say and repeat enough of how much I want a damn story to a thing or a hero's journey. And, and I don't get any of that. And it just like frustrates the hell out of me that, you know, I don't get any of that whatsoever <laughs> in this movie, just barely with the fight at the end, which almost feels like they shoehorned it in there just for people like me as a, okay, you here, you get your part. But for all us other existential thinkers, we're just going to, you know, leave it off on the thing. Um, Hey, so one last question with with that. Um, do you think, and this has got a definitive answer, but here has been a question. Do you think that Joe died at the end there on the steps? Hmm. Did you feel that I, way when you were watching it? I don't think so. I don't think that you so. You thought he was just laying there kind of resting? and reflecting yeah though i don't know i mean everything else we've talked about about this movie is that they left things ambiguous so i well, don't know i hadn't I, it I hadn't was really funny that, that that was a comment there or a question that's been kind of burning up a little bit enough that the writer and the director did comment on this and they said that uh they are really surprised that that's been a huge question with everybody because they absolutely meant for him that he was dead, that he's done. He's over. He died. And they, they wanted him to be that way. But I, I will say when I watched it, I kept thinking, I'm, I don't know. I don't think he's, I don't know if he's dead. I, I felt that it wasn't clear. Um, yeah, sure. It kind of seemed like he's dead and that makes sense in the context of this movie, but I don't know. They aren't really clear about that. So maybe that was just a writing and directing part that they didn't get that clear enough to the audience. Well, well yeah. And I mean, They've made, they've made so many other things ambiguous. It's it's weird that something like that is not more. It's not like the guy, whatever his name, who saw the ships burning off the shores of Orion. Like, oh right. It, it it like that guy was clearly dead. Yes. But like they didn't, uh, they didn't give Ryan Gosling the same treatment. It's so funny the hindsight of of watching that show when I was watching it last Sunday. And he said that line, I kept thinking, you know what? Orion's a star way off the thing. There's lots of planets. It's a whole system. What the hell are you talking about? You know, it's, that's horrible. We were mentioned earlier. I want to go transition into this, as you said, the Battlestar thing. Um, Battlestar Galactica, the, the newer ish series. I don't know. Was that 2005 now? I guess that's a long time ago is, tackles this whole thing better i think it spends a lot of time on it it's the whole point of the series is the you know are they real do they have a soul type thing um and maybe my whole interpretation of 
or my feeling on Blade Runner is tarnished by the fact that I've, I've seen this done better in examples like Battlestar Galactica. But what I'd like to bounce off you here is this, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned like a, a story. Do they have to have an ending? Does it have to have an existential thing? Uh, I think it makes it better. I think if you can have a, a thing that leaves it out there that makes you, challenges you, and asks you the question of, is this real? Is it not real? Is there a soul? Is there not a soul? Um, I like a, a story in a specific movie to to show that, to say like, yeah, we believe this, or your main protagonist does have or does not have, and that's what we're saying. Um, and here's the point that we're trying to get across. I want to know their point, I guess. And Battlestar, they have an ending, and it's a hugely controversial ending. Uh, because they try to tell you exactly what they want to tell you. I liked it. I thought it was fine. Because it's what I thought. It's They explained everything and they gave their, their ending. I think that a lot of people didn't like it because it didn't leave it open-ended enough. They want it to be another Blade Runner where they don't tell you whether what happens to the Cylons. They want you to just kind of leave it, leave it there like the series was. Uh, I like it. I like a story that, that the writers tell it. I think Lost did it. They, people didn't like that either. They, they had an ending. They told you the ending. This is how it is. And maybe that's what people who are watching it didn't want to have an actual ending. They just wanted to have that question always up there. Maybe I'm just not one of those viewers. Well, I think it depends on the story. Um, I mean... So once again, if you, I get, I could, I could say somehow, but now it's old enough that you could have just completely missed it. If you haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, um, we're we're gonna talk about the ending. Like I don't think we can do that without spoiling. <laughs> yeah, right by now. Um, you need to watch it if you haven't. I've, Pause now I've, and go watch I, it. I was, come yeah, exactly. Go and then come back in in a couple weeks right. when you're done. Um, as I've said to our friend Dan, who uh, I think first turned me on to that show and is also a big fan of it, um, I think the finale of season three was the peak. What of happened? That show. Reminded me what happened on that one. That's the that's the musical all along the watchtower uh, scene with it's the wrap up of Baltar's trial with uh, Lee Adama. Okay, and in the in the background of that big melodrama is the four of the final five um, being revealed as Cylons. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. right. Okay. Right. The four, four big characters, one of whom is sort of spoiled by uh, having been recast, not really recast, but um, who was that? So the president's assistant, Billy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. He gets killed off kind of casually. Right. Oh, spoilers. Whatever. <laughs> we're we're um, pretty on that. Okay, go ahead. Uh, um, and the, as I understand it, the actor wanted off the show. Oh, for I didn't know that. Something, you know, you, you never really, you know, nobody ever tells the true story. And if they are, it's still just from their perspective, whatever. For whatever reason, they wrote him off the show. And then um, he's replaced by Tori. Yes. Who's the, the, she's some kind of Middle Eastern uh, 
I mean, in the world of in the world of BSG, she's probably Toron or okay. something. But um, she becomes Rosalind's assistant, and her character is not very fleshed out. Like she has an affair with Baltar later on, and it's this whole like weird thing. But originally, that character was supposed to be Billy. And so they wait. Did they did they say did Ronald Moore and them say that that Billy was going to be a Cylon? Did they know that at the beginning? I mean, I I don't know about that one way or the other. But Tori is one of those four, and the other three, yeah. the other three are all big, well established from the beginning characters, right? Like had major story arcs all throughout. Mm, well, Starbucks husband, I'm not so sure about, but yeah, I, the chief well, and them. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's, um, what's, what's that guy? The XO. Name? I mean, the XO, of course, the chief, of course, he has the whole thing with Boomer. Um, and, uh, Anders, whatever. Anders, that's, um, that's the Starbucks husband. Husband, right. He's like the leader of the what little resistance there is when they go back to Caprica. Like yeah. he's not, he's not huge, but he's up there with, um, with like Diwala and Billy before they killed him off and sure. Whatever. Um, and so, and so those are those four. And then after so you wanted that, to, to they, end there when they revealed them. Well, no, I mean, obviously that would be like, not nothing, you know, that would have been super frustrating. It that would have been like, Blade nope. Runner level of quandary stuff, right? I mean, I mean, sort of even worse because you're like, okay, we got these big reveals and then and, and then what happens? Like, and that's it. And that and that's it. It would be, you know, then it would be on the list with Firefly of like, oh, I would have lost my mind. Never, never. Uh, um, there would have been a crater in my living room. Yeah, my unresolved. TV unresolved kind of thing. And instead they go on this whole thing where the Cylons rebel and that's, and that's interesting. It just, I don't know. It just, it's, it's none of it was ever as impactful, I think as, as that finale. And of course this is a show that had really good season finales. Right, like finale of season one, uh, Adama gets shot. Yeah. Right, and you're like, oh, what? This is like a it's like a Ned Stark situation. Like, what are they going to do now without without him? Like, he's the only he's the glue holding this whole mess together. And I actually thought that the actor was only going to be like, I only Edward James almost was only going to sign on for one se- season. So like, oh, they got to kill him off. I was like, oh, dude. Right. Right. I I liked seeing him in uh, in Blade Runner brought back. Yeah, that was that was a good um, shout out there. Because he was he was in the original too, right? He was. And when I watched it in the the first one, I was like, oh, that's Edward James almost. And I mean, he looks yeah. so different, so different. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so does Harrison Ford. We just know he's done a lot more yeah, stuff. Yeah, so probably, probably. We've we've watched him age. But but when when he um, came back for Adama, it, there there was the marked difference. He hadn't done a lot before 
I guess there was some some long period of time where he was, you know, Blade Runner, uh, Edward James almost, and then there's all of a sudden nothing for a while, and now he's Adama. So that that's when that happened. Right. I guess. Right. Um, and I just rewatched it, but I don't remember how season two ends. Probably when they settle on New Caprica, I think. And then. Right, like right, right at the very end after they decide to settle, uh, the Cylons show up. Maybe I can't remember. I, I, I think I, I think it might have been. A, a, it might have been when you watched it longer ago right, than I did. It might have been when Boomer was. Uh, um, no, that was season one. Still, I was gonna say when when Starbuck was uh, stranded or something on one of this one of the planets. But mm. no, I agree that that. Well, that, well, their their finales their finales were all like just huge, yes. right? Story story wise, and I didn't I didn't mind the ending. You know, it's one of those like it's it's, it's really just a question of what do you want? Like, do you want the story to be over? And if you if you just want the story to be over, it really sort of depends on what kind of story has been what kind of story is being told it's like um uh, did you read all 5 of the hitchhiker's guide i did not trilogy well at the do, do, do you mind if i tell you the end no no it's, it's okay. if you're going to read it um, <laughs> um i i was just talking about this a couple days ago to my brother um Near the end of the story, uh, they they fly over somewhere where the ultimate question is like in burning letters on a hillside or something. Okay. And I don't think anybody can see it, or I forget exactly how this is handled, but the robot Marvin, right? The the depressed depressed robot. He sees it. Snape. And and he says, um, he says something like, hmm. That makes me feel happy. <laughs> and, and it's the end of the story. Like, like, did you want, did you want Douglas Adams to, to tell you the ultimate question? Not really. Like it would have completely ruined it. Oh man. This is tying in like the whole topic of today's uh, session. Is that, <laughs> you know, do, do we want an answer? Do we, do we want, a thing, uh, I, and maybe this is the difference between even you and I. When some of our things here is that, I think I fall squarely in the yeah. I want I want to read a story. I want to read what somebody's somebody's telling me. I mean, I mean but the, you're right. You're right. It, they don't think, all have to. Well, be I think that it way. depends on the story. Like like you wouldn't like I wouldn't want to see. Well, okay. So start out with I don't want. Like I want Douglas Adams to entertain me with his writing. I don't yes, want me to. Right. I don't and want I him to tell me. I don't want him to tell me what he thinks the meaning of life is. Like I could read a philosophy. Uh, book see, I, I don't know. I, I kind of. Hey, I that's a good that. word. Philosophy. I think that's maybe where this comes in. Is that is that some stories want to challenge and leave it open-ended so that you challenge the person to make up their own minds as where 
what I like is to hear someone else's opinion and their own thing and where they've come to that conclusion and what they think and then let that sit with me and say, okay, if their interpretation of the meaning of life is this, does that make sense for me? Does that, does, how does, how do I believe? Do I come down on that, that thing? Uh, I guess what I like is someone to tell me what they think so that I can decide whether I like that idea or it's not for me. Whether you agree with it or not. Instead of saying, hey, um, here's the question. What if? And then just leave it out there and you think about it. That's like nerve wracking Mm. to me like crazy. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, mean, we all have these questions. I I get it. The, the, The result, the result is sort of the same because you're not. You know, you either just accept it at face value or, or you move on. I think, I think, I don't know, because at the same time, you take a story like Lord of the Rings and it's mostly a narrative. You know, there are a couple of conversations that are a little bit more, uh, you know, metaphorical, metaphysical, whatever, but you get to, you get to the end of the story, the narrative, the you know, your favorite thing, the hero's journey. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't tell you, it doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't ask you questions. I mean, the movie does a little bit, um, in the, it doesn't leave a lot to be for ambiguity besides like, you know, where they go with you. No, right. Because there are no big questions. Like the closest thing to a big question is like, what is Sauron? And that's not really, it's not a question that needs answered. It's sort of like we talked about, uh, the night King in, in game of Thrones. It's like, this guy is, is a type of evil. So evil that the, even the, the most good characters that we have, um, Gandalf and Galadriel, don't even want to touch his power because it has such a corrupting um, um, ability. But so you, you go just, through, the, you just know he's evil. Right. And so you go through this whole story and the things that you get out of it that are, you know, what you could maybe call life lessons, though that's kind of a, a trite way to put it. Like the things that you get philosophically out of it are, the the implications like they're never they're never stated or asked in an overt way the way that they are in um these other series are all sci-fi i don't know if that's a sci-fi fantasy split i don't think it is um you know you look at the story and you maybe say okay well there's this there's this fearful evil and the only way to deal with it is with this guy who is, is good, but in a, in a simple or basic way, like he's not, he's not powerful even remotely. Like he's not even physically strong. You know, the hobbits are, a are sort of an idyllic version of your average English countryside dweller, you know, they're farmers, but just barely they're, you know, they're beer brewers, but just barely it's like, um, it's like a, uh, 
I don't know, in, in, in D and D you'd call it like chaotic neutral or chaotic good, maybe, um, you know, almost, almost hedonistic, but not in a destructive way. Um, and so the, you know, the, the mind and the heart of this, of this guy and his companion are so, I, I, I want to use the word simple, but that sounds derogatory. I don't mean it derogatorily. It's just, it's straightforward. It's like, oh, well, uh, this, this thing has to be done and it doesn't seem like anybody else can do it. So I guess I'll do it, you know, just a really basic kind of, and so you can look at the story and get that, get those philosophical, um, lessons or whatever out of it, but that's not, that's not how the story is told. No, it does. does that I, I think that, uh, maybe that's why like the Lord of the Rings and star Wars and Excalibur are my top three movies of all time is that, that they do have a very clear cut, what we want to tell you about this story. And they have, you know, Excalibur, the story of King Arthur has, has very many moral questions that you have to ask throughout it. And, uh, and where you come down on, but they, but the, the writers have a very clear ending and what they want to tell you of, they want you their side of the story, I guess. And Lord of the Rings, Tolkien even goes ad nauseum for the last half of the last book goes on and on and on about the ending. He wants to tell you, he's going to tell you every single thing that could possibly be what he perceives as the ending, which is a little overkill, but I liked it. I appreciated that I got his story. I got the story there. Um, and whether, you know, I, then I can think of my own self of whether I, you know, tackle that topic. Um, but so let's go back to Battlestar here for a minute. Um, the, the ending was a little, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but it is a little metaphysical. It was, it talked a little bit, you know, they tackled issues of like God and religion, which was the theme throughout the whole show. Um, I think that the reason you say this is my own interpretation that like season three is when it peaked is the same reason that we've talked about in the past with a lot of TV shows that have to deal with money and scheduling and the fact that, you know, it, it was a popular series. It was making so much. It was, everything was so big and I'm sure movie theaters wanted or movie or TV show producers were like, we got to keep this going. Got to keep this going. When writers would love to have, just a, a story. They have the idea and the, the thought process and then tell you the ending. Yet they have to drag it all out until it gets into a bad spot where it's, okay, it's meandering. And I felt the Battlestar had that. Three was great. And then they just start meandering to try to make up ideas. And finally they're like, okay, we're going to end it. And then they get to tell their ending. Uh, when bringing that back to Blade Runner, I don't think they ever intended with that story to tell an ending or any kind of ending. It's just that's the kind of storytelling that that has in a story is that we're just we're going to let you think about it. And just as I'm listening to us talk tonight, I'm beginning to realize that that's the kind of storytelling that a lot of people like is that we're not going to tell you. We want you well, to think it, about it and have your own story. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it prompts more conversation. It's interesting. The the ending of Bowser Galactica is 
sort of similar in a way to the ending of The Hobbit or The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, where. Okay, how so? It becomes it becomes like a mythology. Right. I mean, I mean, Tolkien said part of his motivation behind writing Lord of the Rings was that there was no big like the Arthurian legends are the are the biggest mythology that England has. Yes. Right. They don't have the Greek and Roman pantheons or even like the Fae and the Tuatha Dé Danann and stuff that they have in Ireland. Um, and so he wanted to sort of create one. And then there's some implication at the end that um, the hobbits sort of, you know, sort of faded away and became men. I was wondering about that. So I, I read, actually read the, the Tolkien series, uh, the Lord of the Rings series, um, many, many years ago, um, almost 20 years ago now. So it's been a while since I remember the end and the ending was hard to get through. Is that, is that what it was? I kind of got the feeling that they were trying to say that it, this is earth. That makes it really interesting. If that, if that's the way it's supposed to be. taken. I mean, I mean, maybe it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's writing afterward, you know, um, he's he, Tolkien said that it's not, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? He said that it's an allegory, not a metaphor is the wrong word. What, um, what do you call like the, the C.S. Lewis Narnia series? Um, Narnia is what I know. Where it's, well, no, but like it's a, um, it's like a metaphor for, Christianity. Oh, okay. But metaphor is the wrong word. Anyway, I think allegory um, was the right word. I think. Well, in the in the introduction to Lord of the Rings, I don't know when he wrote this, but Tolkien writes the introduction and says, he, at, at best, he wants it to be an allegory, right? Where you read it and the reader makes his own connection or interpretation of what it means. Well, I, I like the idea Where, of it being like man and earth. That's that's a neat mythology. Well, right, and that's and that's what it is. Like it's 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 left open. You know, some people tried to say that it was a um, man. I really wish I could think of the word that would help this this uh, conversation. But just stick with metaphor, I guess. People wanted to say that it was a metaphor for World War Two, and he said if it. If it was, then Gandalf and company would have taken the ring and used it, right? Then the ring is a metaphor for the atom bomb or something. Oh, really? Man, I got to read about um, that. Where, where it's not like that's, that's not what he wanted at all. And so, um, you know, you get to the end of the story and there, it, it keeps ending. Like the movie ends a couple times, but the books are even worse. Yeah, the books are worse. <laughs> Like the the story ends, but they go back to the Shire. It's like we've talked about before. It's not so much a story as it is just a narrative, like a log of events. Yeah, you, I I kind of want to break that this topic up a little bit because I'm I really 
am happy to talk about Lord of the Rings at a full 90 minute episode, which <laughs> right. I'm, I'm we, gearing we, up for we, myself. We keep, we keep going back to Lord of the Rings, but yeah, the interesting thing, um, to go back to Battlestar Galactica, um, did you see the, the prequel series, uh, Caprica? Uh, I think I might've watched like the first episode or two. I could not get into it as well. Maybe it was the actors right. or something. Yeah, I I watched the whole thing and it and it wasn't great, but it gives you that idea of like what are the Cylons, where do they come from? And so then the question becomes sort of like our question from a few weeks ago, do we want a Joker origin story? Like, do we want a Cylon origin story? Do we wanna know like I was saying before, like it doesn't really, it's not important to the story how Cylon resurrection works. Yes. Right. right. Or, or how the Cylons are made. Like, do they have organs and blood or not? Do they, you know, cause there are a couple times where they, um, like Boomer plugs a fiber optic cable into her wrist and can interface with Galactica. Yeah, there's a lot of things like, that don't intentionally tell you how it works. Like none, none of that tech is ever explained because it's not important to the story. At least that's my, that's my take on it. Right. Um, and, and so you watch this, you watch this, um, this prequel series and the story is basically told that there's a kind of, uh, virtual reality, you know, the Oasis and, uh, <laughs> nice. and, over the course of time, the the main character figures out some way to in the show notes. Upload you need to put Ready con- Player One in that, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Um, she figures out a way to store her consciousness in the network, and just like Battlestar Galactic Prime, it's it's never really explained how that works. And in this same era, they have Cylons that are just. The Centurions are just robots. Um, but she figures out a way to get her mind uploaded into this robot body. And that's sort of the trigger. Like they get to the end of the story and there's this, um, there's this cult that wants to, um, they want to do something they call parthenogenesis where I think it's a little bit hazy now, but I think it's like a like a suicide cult, and they're all I gonna. I can remember that. Or they're gonna, or they're gonna blow up a a, a pyramid stadium or something. I it, you know it's getting mixed up with other I, stories. I think now, some, but that's I think sort some of the, the world building there was good in that show. What, what was throwing me off was that maybe the, all the teen angst that they focused on a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. right. It's this big sort of you know climactic thing where they you know do a bunch of flash backs sort of to fill in the story between the end of Caprica and the beginning of BSG did a lot of flashbacks in BSG right I'm trying to think they did do that a lot of that in that show right a little bit but none of it really goes further than the start of the series unless it's like some of the some of the backstory building for um Adama and Ty and maybe Starbuck some of that none of it is like it's not world building flashbacks. It's just character development flashbacks. Okay. Got it. 
But anyway, not, not ad nauseum, like they didn't lost. Anyway, so you, so you have this sort of premise that the the Cylons are are just people, and I guess they sort of make that claim in the show, like the Cylons are humanity's children. But in BSG, you're meant to understand that, or at least I always read it as they're humanity humanity's children in that humans made them as slaves and then they rebelled and they have a plan but um then you get to the end of the series and they settle on earth and it's not even really implied it seems to be clearly stated that uh, no, they're never going to explain where Invisible Caprica and Invisible Gaius Baltar came from, or who or what they are, or who or what Baltar even is. Yeah, they never do address that, do they? But but they jump forward to present day Earth, and the two of them are are still walking around unseen by anybody, as if angels or some other kind of unseen supernatural being and um and then it's implied that humanity as we know it evolved from those last few settlers of you know the the 12 colonies well and and cylons right it was supposed to be a a dual baby right a combination of a deckard baby (laughs) right of Deckard Rachel baby of of those two things and it's I don't know I mean I I sort of see the appeal of both but I think to me if if the scope of a story is too big like you're talking about the origin of human life on earth I mean I guess it's better than just leaving it open but something about that is is just they didn't like how they told you what it was what what you should have thought maybe just something the way it should have been something about it it's it just a, a little bit unsatisfying and it, it could just be the stuff we talked about last week where like a a show goes on for a length of time and this is a show that was really really good and yeah did a lot of um like What's the word I'm going to say? Like, like they try to address issues that affect real life and real politics. Yeah, which was kind in, of a, a, in a, in a, their in their own setting, good. in their own kind of not. It's not dystopian. It's a technically post post apocalyptic, but in a you know in this sort of Exodus framework. And you're like, oh man, what? How do these issues change when you're the last fifty thousand humans alive and you have to survive? Like, yeah, somebody's got to work on the on the crappy water processing ship, or else we're all gonna <laughs> right. die. And like, how do we, you know, how do we handle those sort of cl- well, th- cl- this, that class show issues? Really... And there's th- that. Right, that show really did try to address a lot of those minutiae type in, issues. In a way that didn't feel too, like, preachy. And it... 
Right. And it still sometimes is like a, some of that's unavoidable, but th- there are plenty of shows where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, Waterworld or something. You're like, oh, man, <laughs> the, we, <laughs> they're really telling you about it. We all, better right? we better recycle all our beer cans or something. It's like it's so <laughs> heavy handed. You're like, come on, this is, I'm, you know, I don't I don't mind if you if you try to, you know, teach me a lesson while I'm being entertained, but. I have to still be entertained, like yeah, well, and like Waterworld, which didn't entertain just about anything. Hey, let me let me ask you a question. So we're we'll, we're gonna wrap up this this session yeah, here with uh, long, some. I think. Din- I think that's okay. We got we got people who are interested in the uh, existential things <laughs> of androids and Cylons. Whether they're interested um, in our opinions, I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, so we the question I have. I'd like to get your – let's get Dennis's take on this. Without going too far into religion and, and, and the existence of, of, of higher beings or souls per se, um, can technology come to a point where they are equal in rights of living or self-aware, in your opinion, to be considered a living thing equal to a human? Do you think that could potentially happen? What's it called? Uh, the what's that that point where it hits the singularity? AI switch the singularity. Do you think that that is going to happen, and that we will have to deal with that, or is that just not something that could, in your opinion, ever really truly happen? I mean, we've got stuff like the Turing test, right? Which I was thinking about earlier, talking about. Blade Runner and the relationship between Kay and Joy, like she passes the Turing test so well that he he loves her. Yes. Um. But I don't know. I mean, I think that. But in the real in, world, right? In, in the in, Dennis in, in, Rogers in the real here. world, of course. As uh, as as Jack Black in in it's Tenacious it. D says, I don't think we have the technology. But, um, right, right. Now, bringing it out of the fantasy and our thoughts about what ifs, like what you know of the real world, society, humans, technology. You think we're going to hit that? We'll hit that singularity at some point, even a thousand years from now. I mean, a thousand years from now, who knows? I personally, I don't see it ever moving beyond, um, like animals. Right, yeah. like we have a lot of, you know, whatever laws, legislation, advocacy groups, all those kind of things for animals, and there are some people who put animals on the same level with humans. Um, I, I don't agree with that, but that's just my personal. That that's what we're here. We're here for Dennis. We're, we're getting opinions. a little, getting a little too close to politics <laughs> here, but. Uh, Right, right, right. But, but I, I just, it's interesting to think. I mean, our, our episode today has been about, you know, the thought process and, and whether a a movie or a science fiction type thing leaves this open to the, to the person to, to think about whether the value of an artificial life form feelings and whether that's possible. So I think that's relevant to that. If it's Blade Runner is to bring out the idea of, when you left the theater, if it challenges you to think about that kind of thing, uh, then, you know, 
maybe you have an opinion on that. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and interject mine and say that, that uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to say that, that the, the human brain isn't a, a basics of ones and zeros, but I also am a firm believer in the soul and that, it, that we will never, that AI can never have that unless it's an organic type thing. Uh, and I think organics is the most important thing. So maybe in a world of Blade Runner where organics is brought into the, to the mix, then maybe a, an artificial intelligence can, can have a, a soul per se. I, that's why I think joy was the most interesting part is because she wasn't flesh and blood. Mm. Um, and I really liked the sex scene. The way they did that is that interfacing between human and using an emote that was clearly an emotional thing. It is a physical blended with emotional and that is super interesting. And that's, that was the thing that like, Hey, is this a being? And that, that was challenging for me to think about, I guess on that way. And that was very well done by the, the, the writers. Yeah. That's an interesting, um, yeah, it's an interesting aspect of it. And that, and that's basically where I am. Like whether, whether you call that a soul or, um, the 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 things that the things that humans have that that animals don't like abstract thought and memories and all those kind of things that it, at least in in our ability to measure you know aren't there like I don't I don't see that but again if you if you bring the organics into it maybe who knows I mean you go a thousand a thousand years yeah. in the future like you know go go a thousand years in our past and ask if if anybody could have imagined the way that we live now you know yeah even even the concept of artificial intelligence let alone yeah. things so yeah maybe things like blade runner are 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 interesting to do and and uh even battlestar galactica bringing back in the idea of artificial intelligence becoming organic and and uh having a mind of self-awareness is, is, is a good thing. The Turing test and movies like Blade Runner get to bring that back out to the, to the forefront. Um, maybe I just want, uh, an answer. <laughs> I want them to <laughs> tell me the damn answer. Well, shall we, uh, wrap this up tonight? Yep. I think so. I think we've, we've rambled on about this. <laughs> we've got enough on that one. This, this very heavy topic. <laughs> Till uh, next right. time I'm Michael Daniels. And I'm Dennis Rogers. For the front porch. Good night, everybody.